I worked at the Department of Justice in Washington, D.C., but then I discovered a kind of higher Department of Justice. What happens when your child goes off to college? Who's helping them defend the truth and grow in faith? On this episode of Religious Freedom Matters, we'll talk with a lawyer turned priest who's doing just that. I enjoyed in law school thinking about the big questions, the deep questions, and that was a lot of fun. And then as I began to engage my faith more seriously, I discovered an incredible richness to the faith that no one, I felt like I had never learned. I'm Andrea Pachati Bayer, director of the Conscience Project and your host for Religious Freedom Matters, the education series. Today, Joan Desmond and I will be talking with Dominican Father Dominic Legg, director of the Thomistic Institute. We'll also speak with Professor Joseph Capizzi, who heads up the Institute for Human Ecology at the Catholic University of America. The two will share their experiences about spreading the truth of the faith with college students and within institutions of higher education. Joan and I are super excited to have with us Father Dominic Legg, director of the Thomistic Institute. The Thomistic Institute exists to promote Catholic truth by strengthening the intellectual formation of Christians at universities, in the church, and in the wider public square. TI is an academic institute of the Pontifical Faculty of the Dominican House of Studies in Washington, D.C., with campus chapter programs that is now spread to more than 50 colleges and university campuses. Welcome, Father Dominic. It's great to be with you. Hi, Father. Good to see you. Good to see you, John. Father, it's widely known in circles that the Dominicans happen to be the coolest of the religious orders right now. And your bio... Right uh, now? Has, I mean, come on. Always. Since the 13th century. <laughs> always. Since the very beginning. Um, and, you know, your bio really does reflect the cool factor. Before becoming a priest, you were a lawyer, graduating from Yale Law School and practicing law at the U.S. Department of Justice, my old stomping ground. We have a question for you. How does that legal experience influence and complement your appreciation of religious freedom as part of Catholic teaching? I do think the Dominican habit is classic and uh, you could even say cool, but our goal is not to be the cool priest, which uh, always comes with a certain hazard. We're aiming for timeless truths. We're aiming for something that's perennial and that is powerful and deep. And uh, if people think that's cool, you know, that that's great. So my background, I mean, I did not see the priesthood in my future when I was a young person. There were a few times when, uh, you know, the idea crossed my mind, but I never gave it any serious thought. I always really wanted to be a lawyer uh, because I watched Perry Mason episodes, you know, growing up when I was homesick from school. And, you know, I was just inspired by the idea that someone would argue and fight for justice and the truth. and that's one of the things that I loved about law school. I really enjoyed being a lawyer. I enjoyed law school. I enjoyed the, the intellectual engagement. I enjoyed the, the fact that you were being an advocate. And uh, I loved the, you know, the law has a kind of harmonic echo, you might say, with the Catholic scholastic tradition and the Thomistic tradition in the sense that both are going to be fairly analytical. You're going to look at a problem and try and break it down into its pieces and go through a kind of reasoned analysis of, of solving the question or addressing, addressing an argument. And so my intellectual preparation, the kind of formation you get in law school, trains you to think that way. 
And then when I started studying Thomas Aquinas, I discovered Aquinas is doing very much the same thing. Of course, Aquinas has been doing it, or people reading Aquinas have been doing it since the 13th century and, and even before that kind of scholastic approach. So it's not just lawyers who do that. So that, for me, was a wonderful overlap as I began to discover something deeper, something higher. And I mean, as, I, as I've said before, you know, I worked at the Department of Justice in Washington, D.C., but then I discovered a kind of higher Department of Justice. You know? <laughs> and uh, it's a higher justice. It's also higher truths, which deeply satisfying to engage the mind with that. I mean, I enjoyed in law school thinking about the big questions, the deep questions, and that was a lot of fun. And then as I began to engage my faith more seriously as, a, as, a, as an adult and someone who's wanted to take it seriously as an intellectual matter, I discovered an incredible richness to the faith that no one, I felt like I had never learned and no one had introduced me to. And that's one of the things that is so important, I think, about what the Thomistic Institute is doing. And as the director of the, of the TI, I spend a lot of my time on, which is we're not able to give a complete university education to the students who come to us, but we can begin to introduce them to the riches of this great tradition, which in fact is our heritage as Catholics and as Christians. And there's such richness. And so often today, people don't know about it. It's, it's our own treasure, and we don't know about it. And you know, so just to begin to learn about it, it opens your mind to new possibilities. And I mean, it, it took my life in a totally different direction, one I never could have anticipated. And I think we're seeing that with a lot of our students. It, it takes their lives in a totally new direction once they get exposed to it. You know, you make a really good point about the limits of the law and that the truth is even greater. I remember my parish priest at um, kind of pepping everyone up for the March for Life, and he said, sometimes the law needs to catch up with the truth. And we can see, just as we're dealing with issues of, of life and cases before the Supreme Court right now, that that's happening. And in many cases, it's catching up quicker than anyone had imagined. But we definitely see that the truth is much broader. I want to ask you a little bit about your experience with these college kids that are seeking, just like you had in your own life, a greater and deeper understanding of the truth. You visited a lot of college campuses in building up this campus program with the Thomistic Institute. What are the kinds of questions that young people, these students are asking when you visit? And what does it say about their academic and religious formation? Well, I mean, there's a lot of questions they're interested in. If we were to just look at like the way we operate, we create a menu, basically, of topics and give them to the students and say, here's a sample of things that you could host to talk about. And then to see the kinds of things that they're drawn to. And of course, we're open to them proposing things that we didn't come up with. But it's, a, it's wonderful to see the direction that they take these things in. So questions about science and faith, those are big questions that a lot of students have. Does neuroscience prove that you don't have a soul? or that you don't have free will, something like that? Or does the theory of evolution disprove the Bible? Or does uh, you know the latest discoveries in astronomy or cosmology or particle physics, does this undermine classic truths about the principle of non-contradiction or about God's creative role or providential governance of the world, something like that? So those kinds of questions are always interesting to students. 
and we have a lot of talks that, that deal with them. To my surprise, you know, students are really interested, for example, in um, proofs for the existence of God. We created a, a video series called Aquinas 101. It's just short little I love YouTube videos. And um, this was, we created it because students were asking for a more systematic introduction to Aquinas. But the most popular video is on proofs for God's existence, uh, <laughs> which we did not intend. And it's not, it, it's a pretty technical video. And so, you know, it's real philosophy, but the students really are interested. So that, that's the first thing I would say. But there's a bigger point, which is that a lot of students at the contemporary university, they take really high level classes in specific categories, you know, like they're going to take a psychology class, they're going to take a history class, they're going to take a sociology class, they might take a neuroscience class or a physics class. And at the end of all of that, does anyone ever sit them down and say, here's how to put it all together, or Connect here's what it means. And, and in fact, no one does that. And the students always feel like they don't get that in the contemporary university. That is an enormous weakness. And it's in a certain sense why people go to university, or it should be. I mean, maybe they go just to get a credential and get a good job. But I mean, really, the, the classic understanding of what a university is for is to form the mind and, and to help you like try to put it all together. And the university generally doesn't do that very well anymore. And in fact, some of the things that will help you do that, you don't learn in the university. So that's one of the reasons why I think the Catholic intellectual tradition, and especially the thought of Thomas Aquinas, are so important because in the Western tradition, Aquinas is one of the major figures. And for the Catholic Church, Aquinas is one of the major figures who helps integrate the whole of human knowledge, you might say, and give it a kind of skeletal structure so that you can see how everything fits into it or how it all hangs together, how to plug new things in. And we want a system that's open, that can receive new discoveries, but we want it to be integrated into a larger whole. And I think the Thomistic tradition is one of the best ways to do that. So we find that students ask lots of questions about ultimate meaning but I think, you know, one of the other difficulties that you see on the contemporary university is that politics has come to dominate everything. So it's not just political science classes that are about politics. History classes are about politics. Well, now actually it turns out literature classes are about politics, <laughs> art, music. It's all about politics. Sociology is politics. Law is politics. Economics is politics. You know, theology becomes about politics. And that's part of, in, in a certain sense, you can find roots of this in some problematic thinkers. You might identify Nietzsche. You might identify Karl Marx. A Marxist ideology certainly thinks that everything is reduced to like class struggle. Well, we've had a kind of permutation away from the explicit categories of Marx, but there's still a very, something that looks like a Marxist ideology operating behind critical theory in some of its, you know, some of the way you see it appearing where everything becomes subjected to a political analysis. Now, Father, I'm so thankful as the mother of kids that are heading off to college that they can find Thomistic institutes in a lot of the schools that I'm looking at and pushing them towards, you know, and considering and that they're actually gravitating towards. And I'm also a little envious 
that I didn't have that because I, I don't think that things were that clear while I was in college or in graduate school either. I do want to put in a plug um, just from personal experience during the pandemic we had in my house, pizza with Aquinas. And we would connect to Aquinas 101. And even, you know, even some of my little kids who a lot of it did fly over their heads, a lot of it was something that they could capture. And I would encourage a lot of people to look at the Thomistic Institute website to take advantage of of a lot of those videos and sessions and, and conferences, because it is, we're all in a, a situation of a lot of kind of disorientation and having the right answers to be able to understand things ourselves and to be able, especially if we're parents, to be able to help walk with our children and teach them. I wanted to ask you, what is your next big project? So we're continuing to make those videos and they come out once a week, which is a lot of work. These are animated little videos on YouTube. And actually, I think we're now at like three and a half million views for it's our crazy. YouTube. That's so great. It's and Total you know so who thought that Aquinas <laughs> Aquinas's philosophy and theology would have that kind of audience. I mean, it's not Justin Bieber, but it's getting some <laughs> traction. Um, but we also we're just launching in January for the first time a study abroad program in Rome in partnership with the Angelicum. This is a way to bring college students from secular university campuses around the country, or for that matter, also potentially Catholic schools as well, and send them for an entire semester to the Angelicum, which is the Dominican University in Rome, where they will study with some of the best minds in, in the church, really. It's uh, Including really one of, one of your cohorts, Father Thomas Joseph White, right? That's he's, right. So he's, he's now the, the Rector Magnificus of the Angelicum. <laughs> that's a big um, name. Which is a great, a great title. <laughs> and he and I uh, have been working hard to create this study abroad program, so we're really excited for its launch in January. That's so great. I'm I can't wait to send one of my grandchildren there. It's too late perhaps for my twenty something um kids, but well I can tell program. you, John, we were designing this program and as I looked at it, it was like, I think I want to just go on the program myself. I, 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 I just want to be a student in this program. Because it's some of the best professors and also it's integrated with a spiritual life, you know, so an intentional Christian community, the students living together. And then regular little pilgrimages in Rome led by different Dominican priests. Mm -hmm. So every week they're going to go visit a different church or a different shrine, you know, the tomb of a martyr or something like that in Rome. And then also some other excursions out to visit sites associated with Thomas Aquinas in his life. Yeah, this is a chance for them to have direct exposure to really high caliber Dominicans. Um, and many have never had any exposure to people in religious life. So it's it's a fabulous opportunity in so many different ways to have the testimony of your vocation along with the transmission of truth. This is perfect first full circle conversation because yet again, reinforcing, you guys are super cool. Um, <laughs> So thank you very much, Father Leg, for joining us on this episode of Religious Freedom Matters, our education series. I want to encourage everyone listening to learn more about the work of the Thomistic Institute by checking out their website, ThomisticInstitute.org, as we heard today. This is a great resource for continuing education in the faith and formation, not just limited for, for young learners, but for all learners alike. Coming up next, Joan and I will speak with Joseph Capizzi, director of another great initiative that's strengthening religious freedom in higher education, Catholic University's Institute for Human Ecology. 
Joining us now is Professor Joseph Capizzi, Director of Catholic University's Institute for Human Ecology. Thanks for joining us, Joseph. It's my pleasure to be with you guys. Now, earlier in the episode, we spoke with the fantastic Father Dominic Legg, director of the Thomistic Institute, and he shared some of his experiences with college students and observations on the state of American higher education. How free do you find the church in its schools and institutions of higher education? And what are some of the threats that you see are what we're facing? I I actually think we're pretty free, uh, at least in Catholic institutions, which have I'm most familiar with. I don't find there to be any serious threats internal to these institutions. The challenge for the church, the challenge for teachers who teach in the name of the church is always to order their work towards the pursuit of truth. And at least at Catholic University, where I've taught for over 25 years now, we've had no problems doing that. We, we really embrace this as our mission. My colleagues and I do our best to have all of our work sort of measured by and tested by the demands of the truth. We understand there are things that are going on outside uh, outside of, you know, sort of our ambit at the governmental level and so on. But the, in essence, the largest challenge is always how to meet students who are coming from increasingly disparate backgrounds, right, as mm-hmm. they enter into our institutions and to engage them in the same enterprise because some of them are going to be very ill-equipped to do so. They just don't understand what the pursuit of truth entails. Professor, we're going to talk a little bit about what's the secret sauce that allows great institutions, great Catholic institutions to maintain their authentic Catholic identity. But before we do that, I want to ask you, what do you think are some of the reasons why some of our Catholic colleges and universities, and even some of our primary and secondary schools that are supposed to be Catholic, often are Catholic in name only, and sometimes even promote ideas that are contrary to the faith and damaging to advancing the faith with their students and with the families that they're working with. I think one thing you could point to is the sort of good natural instinct to want to be a part of a culture and want to be a part of the dominant surrounding culture where we find ourselves. And this is an instinct many of us have, right? Or we have at different points in our lives more deeply than others. And sometimes what happens is we begin to speak from the culture first, not confident that the things we claim by faith, in fact, are what we claim they are, which is certitudes because their basis is faith. Their basis ultimately is Christ. We think of them as, in a way, more fragile, more precious than they really are. And so we want to begin with what we think is solid ground, which is the the, the culture of our neighbors and so on. And we lose sight of these deeper commitments that we claim to possess. We fail to integrate them into our lives or do so only after the fact. And so they just don't appear as natural or baked in aspects of what we're trying to do in schools and so on. Ultimately, uh, one way of describing this, the shorter way, is just to say it's a loss of faith. We really don't believe what we claim to believe, because if we did, the ordering would be the reverse. Be This is our culture, right? Our culture is this faith of which we're a part. And now we're so confident about it, both its goodness and its truth, that we want to bring it into the world. We believe the world needs this thing and can engage it. And that would be obviously kind of 
complete reintegration of these things into the way we teach, the way we educate our children, the way we, the expectations we have for our schools. You know, it's interesting. There's a, a local school, Catholic pair school, and, and the headmaster there is really trying to respond to the need of lukewarm or nominal Catholics or, or Christians or even non-Christians searching for schooling because our right. public schools really failed these kids. And in talking to a lot of parents, he's downplayed the school's Catholic identity to the point where even policies and procedures, there's no longer you know, a, a tuition rebate if you're a member of the parish or you know, a discount if you're Catholic. All, all comers are equal as far as right. the financial, financial response, but also kind of downplaying the importance of the faith in the education that was being offered. I always kind of think that it's it's at the core. That's the best thing that we're offering is the plenitude of truth. And from there flows solid reading and math and recess and other classical education models. Um, but it, it, it was really a disappointing response to a desire, a genuine desire to serve, but it, it was kind of leaving leaving the Catholic identity uh, by the side of the road in pursuing that service. Yeah. Like if you think about what John Paul II said about how in Gaudium et Spes, right, we're sort of remi we're reminded that Christ reveals to us the fullness of the, hum the human person. The claim there is there's a, there is a human person, right? And in his fullness, it's revealed in Christ. This is an integrated or unified thing. There's no sort of breaking these pieces off and thinking of them as separated from each other. So the plenitude of truth is the phrase you used. When we teach children, we're teaching them everything, right? And if it's true, it's it's part of this unity of truth that is revealed to us in Christ. There's no like detaching that from or detaching the spiritual life, the faith life from truths about math and science and English and so on, right? All of these things are ultimately unified. Anytime you try to split them, you're going to do it at the expense of both pieces that you're breaking off. And that's not a good, it's not a good policy. It's not a good approach. I do think we, we have a problem with the supply chain for education, enough teachers, enough administrators who really understand what you're talking about. And we also spoke about this with Father Leg as well, this, this integrated vision of, of Christian life that we are called to live and present to others and the reality of what he sees at the at the higher academic level of kind of disconnected departments, each doing its own thing, not really right. connected and not helping people connect those things to a larger uh, vision. Um, but there are also signs of renewal. And I'd love to hear wh what you think is going on, especially at your own institution, Catholic University of America, and in your own department, the Institute for Human Ecology. Sure. I'm sure you talked about the Thomistic Institute, right? The Thomistic Institute yeah. itself is one of these instruments, right? That is, in essence, a sign of renewal, right? That it being one of many of its kind that are emerging. The Institute of Human Ecology is another one of these things that are responding to the deep need that you see in students, their deep desire for more than they're getting at their institutions. Quite frankly, they're born out of students' desires. It's the students that are animating these things. That's why the, the Thomistic Institute is exploding, right? Because there's no matter where they go, 
there'll be students who want to come and meet the, the Dominican fathers. The same is true of institutes like mine. No matter where we go, and you see them at not merely Catholic institutions, right? So Baylor, for instance, has a, you know, a thriving center that's a lot like ours. No matter where they are, students will flock to these things because they recognize whatever they're learning in history or pre-law or science or theology, all of these things are kind of pointing towards a unity that the universities themselves, and of course the, the name, right, suggests, you know, otherwise, but the universities themselves are having trouble, trouble or they're struggling to unify. And that's that's the challenge, right? But the but that's also where the signs are of life are coming from. Joseph, um it's beautiful to think about young learners, young people, especially at in higher education pursuing this truth. And as the mom to a number of kids that are either in college or graduate school or, or going to be entering in the next few years, I'm wondering, how do I kind of help fertilize that soil? How do I make it so that they are prepared? Parents have the most critical role. That's the teaching of our church. They are the first educators of their children. They are the first educators in this holistic, integrated sense we've been describing. Um, if we're not doing it well at home, it's going to be very difficult to fix down the line. And you're not going to fix it by engaging administrators and so on, right? I mean, the, the battle's almost lost by that point. Our job is to educate these young people into the habits of pursuing the truth, no matter where it may be found, right? You want to educate them into courage, into conviction, and if they have that, when they go to universities and colleges that are not doing this well, they will find the places, the, the people, the institutions, the places off campus where this stuff can happen, or they will be advocates themselves. The key is really, as always, the home. Uh, we, as especially Catholic parents, have a deep duty to do this well, uh, and if we don't... Um, it's very difficult to fix. It's very difficult for me as a faculty member to fix, and it's difficult for administrators to fix or parents off campus to get administrators to try, try to address. No, absolutely. It's a little frightening, but there's a lot of optimism. It is. <laughs> um, you know, and and I guess, you know, it's it, what we're really being called to do as parents and as as young learners is to start making the effort to really be aware that we are countercultural. And in many ways, the example that we can offer in our homes um, and in our own personal lives can be an attractive draw to the people around us as well. And maybe maybe have the effect of helping to change the culture uh, one little bit at a time. And, and it doesn't even have to be like super intellectual, right? Some parents are not particularly intellectual. You know, it's just got to be the desire to learn, right? Learning how to garden, learning how to, you know. Uh, bake, right? I mean, there are different ways we pursue knowledge and so on. So it's not like it has to be simply an intellectual thing, right? We've got to be confident that pursuing true things, good things, uh, is good enough. Amen. Amen. Well, many thanks uh, to Religious Freedom Matters veteran guest, Joseph Capizzi, <laughs> Director of the Institute for Human Ecology at Catholic University. Check out the Institute's many interesting events and the work of their faculty and graduate scholars at ihe.catholic.edu. 
Thank you for listening to Religious Freedom Matters, the education series. Joan and I are so grateful to our guests, Father Dominic Legg and Joseph Capizzi. Young adults are thirsting for the truth and finding support and encouragement at places like the Thomistic Institute and the Institute for Human Ecology. I'm Andrea Pachati bayer Director of the Conscience Project. You can read more about our work at conscience-project.org. You can also find all episodes of Religious Freedom Matters there and at the National Catholic Register website. That's ncregister.com. Write to us with your comments or send an audio recording to religiousfreedommatters at gmail.com to let us know what you think of this episode and why you agree that religious freedom matters. We're here and we're listening.